0: Amen. You may be seated. And if you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter eleven, as we continue in our sermon series of "I Am Jesus" in His own words. You know what they say—that seeing is believing. Uh, seeing is believing. If that's true for the Christians, hard. Um, you know, we we are to walk by faith, but seeing oftentimes. Something you can't deny, they say, is believing, but it's not always that way. Even when we see something, even when you see it in our old eyes, sometimes we say, did I just see that? Did that really just happen? This morning we're going to look at Jesus' greatest miracle, his greatest earthly miracle, not, not the miracle of his resurrection, but this is the incredible miracle of Jesus bringing back to life a dear friend of his named Lazarus after he's been in the tomb for four days. And the people that were gathered, the people that were there would see. And many who would see this miracle, and can you imagine if you saw it yourself? Can you imagine if you you were there and and you knew that Lazarus was in the grave for four days and and you saw that Jesus says, hey, remove that stone. I'm going to call him out, and you were there, and you saw this one come out of the tomb that was wrapped in grave clothes? How could you not believe? I mean, how could you argue that, that, that this, this has got to be the Messiah? This has got to be God's son. Who else can call out over death? Who else can do this? Well, seeing wasn't believing for all. And, and the crazy thing is the ones who didn't believe were the religious ones. The ones who didn't believe were the ones that you think should have been the ones who were the first to believe. But it wasn't enough. And the question that Jesus is going to ask himself, this is Jesus in his own words, he's going to ask those around, hey, do you believe this? Do you believe that I could do this? And it's the ultimate question for all of us. Where are you in regards to belief with who Jesus is? He says, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha the question he asked all of us, do you believe this? Even when his opponents couldn't refuse the miracle, they didn't believe that God the Father sent them. They, they thought, hey, this is black magic. <laughs> There's something to this. It's like, you know, when you go to Vegas, and you, you, see, you should be in Vegas, by the way. When you go to Vegas, um, just kidding, um, and you see uh, David Copperfield, or somebody do some incredible magic, like, oh, there's got to be something to it. I know, it's, it's some kind of trick here. They would even say, hey, this isn't from God. This guy's got to be demon-possessed. They couldn't deny his power, but they didn't buy his claims. They didn't say, no, no, this can't be one with the Father. This can't be that promised Messiah who was to come. Who do you say Jesus is? There was a lot of confusion in his day. We've been looking at that the last few weeks. So confusion is, hey, is this the prophet to come? Is this the Messiah to come? Is this one insane? Is this one mad? Is this one demon-possessed? There was a lot of confusion in Jesus' day who Jesus was. There's a lot of confusion in our day who Jesus is. But the question for all of us is, but who do you say he is? As we listen to him in his own words. Again, this is week five in the sermon series, I Am, Jesus in his own words. We're looking at these I Am's in the beautiful gospel of John, and they will tell us in his own words who Jesus is, but there's more than just telling us who Jesus is. As we listen closely, it tells us what the gospel story is, the good news of what God has done for us. And as we by the power of the Spirit, look into these stories, it really tells us even more of what the Bible story is all about. Of a God who loves us and a God who rescues us. This morning we'll be looking at Jesus in his own words of the I am the resurrection of life. It's going to be found in John chapter 11. Uh, We're going to look through most of that, but let me give you a little bit more context in John. Now remember, when he says, I'm the resurrection of life, this isn't the Easter story. It's kind of a prelude to it. It's going to foreshadow that, what is to come, what Easter really means. Uh, and what is happening in the story is that, I love it described this way, this guy named Lazarus, who's described as one whom Jesus loves, is sick. And then when Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, he does something that's kind of unexplainable. It's kind of difficult for all of us. He hears he's sick, and what it means is like, hey, Jesus, come on over here you got the good stuff, you got the power, this one you love, he really needs you, and Jesus doesn't go. He waits. And he knows and sees something that we don't, and he knows that ultimately that this is going to be for God's glory, that something amazing is going to happen, but they can't figure out what is going on, why he would delay. And then Lazarus got two sisters. He's got a sister named Martha and Mary. We learn a little bit about them. They're, they're incredible. They would sit at Jesus' feet, and, and one worked a lot more than the other one. But that's another sermon series uh, later on. But Martha and Mary do something that you and I often do when Jesus or, 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 or God doesn't act according to what we think he should, right? When we pray, saying, hey, one that you love is sick. Uh, we, we're we're going to pray over them. God, why aren't you doing and and, do what we think you should. And they start playing the if-only game. If only you were here, this wouldn't have happened. We play that game with our spouses, our loved ones. If only, if only you did what you're supposed to do. If only you showed up. And now they're playing that with God. They're playing that with God's son. If only, Jesus, you were here, we wouldn't be in this mess. Uh, And I think that that's something that probably we all can relate to, that we've played at one time or another. God knows what he's doing, and his timing is perfect. So that's a little context in in John. Let me give you a little context in the bigger picture of Scripture. There was an understanding of the doctrine of the resurrection, especially from the prophet Daniel. Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3, he's going to talk about the resurrection. So this is something that they knew um, as a a good uh, Torah-reading Jew, uh, that they would know that, God has promised life after death. But this resurrection was this like future promise. It really didn't have a lot of current power or relevance. You'll see in the story that Jesus is going to say, hey, Lazarus is coming back to life. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that in the resurrection he'll be there, but that's like no hope for today. And it's interesting also that in the context of the Bible, some of the religious leaders who were called Pharisees, lovers of the law, some of them were called Sadducees, and the Pharisees and Sadducees had a bitter argument over the resurrection. The Sadducees were sad you see because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They said, This is it. This is all there is. And there's no more life. Once you're done, you're done. But the Pharisees who read the law said, No, no. There is a, a, a resurrection to come. But for both of them, this was kind of a religious cold doctrine that didn't give them peace. I hope that's not true with you. But Jesus would do what only Jesus can. He personalizes. He personifies the doctrinal belief, and he brings it into a present reality. Jesus says, the resurrection, watch this. This is crazy. It's a person. The resurrection is a person. And I am the resurrection in life. He's it. The resurrection isn't some cold doctrinal statement. It's personal. It isn't a distant future. It's a current reality. And Peter's gonna unpack that in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. The resurrection is Jesus. But it's more than that. He says, I am the resurrection. He also says, I am the life. Jesus says, life is a person, and he is it. The Greek word for life is Zoe, um, and it's used 36 times in the Gospel of John. He loves that. Um, and 16 other times throughout Scripture or throughout the New Testament. Death, scripture is going to tell us, comes through one man, Adam, because of Adam representing us and his death and rebellion. Death has come to all. But life comes from one man, and it comes from Jesus, the second Adam. We see that in Romans 5, and unpack for us. Jesus is life. Here's the point. Jesus is life. If you have him, you have life. Without him, you don't have life, as God intends. Bottom line. We're going to see this morning four things. I am the resurrection and the life who weeps over death. I'm the resurrection and life who cries victory over death. I am the resurrection and life who commands us to be freed from death. And the ultimate question, do you believe this? So turn with me again to John, the Gospel of John. Uh, I'm going to read, although this entire chapter really is so good about the resurrection we're going to read just the first 44 verses but let's be mindful this is God's holy inerrant word an incredible story Um, I'm going to do a little bit more commentary usually I like just reading scripture and let it stand on its own but I I want to point a few things out along the way so let me start with prayer usually I end this time with prayer but let me start with prayer and ask God to come and bless the reading of his word let's pray together Father God, thank you that we have Jesus in his own words recorded for us so beautifully in the Gospel of John. Jesus, we thank you for the truth, of the reality that you are the resurrection and the life, and and that life is found in you. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and be teacher, that you would speak through a broken sinner like me, that God, you give us ears to hear your voice, that you would give us minds to understand your truth and your word, that God, you would give us hearts that would embrace the Jesus as our resurrection in life, that you would give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of his name. Uh, God, the things that I say that are wrong are my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray, amen. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Don't you love that? Don't you love how personal that is? And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, "'Let us go to Judea again.'" The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered cryptically in ways that they didn't understand. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. I'm sure they're all like, what? What just happened? The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, watch this, y'all, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now let's hit pause. What is Thomas known for in the Bible? Doubting Thomas. This is it. Thomas is like, man, he doesn't quite get it. But hey, let's go back there, fellas. We'll die with him. You know, he doesn't sound too much doubting here, right? He seems to have a little bit more faith, but doesn't understand the whole big picture. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. uh, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, here comes the if you. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. They had this kind of notion that was distant. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What a beautiful confession. When she had said this, she wept and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to, G- to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Here's her, if you would only. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, By this time, there'd be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and lifted up, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, like this guttural animal voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. God, add the blessing of your preaching of your word, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So Jesus, we find out in this incredible story that Jesus is, he says, I am the resurrection and life who weeps over death. Now, when we read this story, it's both comforting and a little bit confusing if we're honest with ourselves. How is Jesus gonna weep over Lazarus' tomb that he knows he's about ready to raise him up from the dead? What would cause him to, to, to weep? Uh, certainly comforting, as we know that. Jesus already knows the ending. He knows that Lazarus is going to come back alive and well, walking out of the, out of the grave. So why? Why weep? Well, there's a few things that we can't miss with this. Jesus sheds tears, and those tears communicate something beyond words. It communicates how he loved him. I want you to just let that fall upon you. This is the eternal God in flesh. This is God's only begotten Son. This is the one who loved us before time began, and those tears would communicate love. That those who stood around said, "Wow, man, this Lazarus. Look, look at how moved Jesus is. Look at, look at, look at the effect on him. He clearly." loved him jesus sheds tears to communicate love and compassion see how we love them love the fact that this is creator god but jesus does more i think jesus is weeping over death he weeps over death why because death is tragic death is death is the result not as it was supposed to be death is a result of sin this is a result of rebellion I mean, what he's weeping over, he's weeping over a broken story that he had to step into to fix at the cost of his own life. He weeps over death. He weeps over the separation it's caused from us, from God and from one another. He weeps over death. Why? Because death is painful. Even even when you know that it's coming. Even when someone's lived a good long life and we celebrate that fact, we still mourn. Because death is painful. Twelve thirty today, I'm doing a gravesite, and somebody who lived to eighty-seven years, but it's going to be painful. Why? Because death hurts. Death always hurts. Sometimes more tragic than others. But Jesus does more than just shed tears to communicate His love for us. Watch this. Jesus sheds blood. To communicate how much he loves us. The cross isn't far away. I mean, how much does he love us? Is he enough to cry for us? How much does he love us? He must to die for us. That God's blood would be shed for us to be set free. To communicate love and compassion to the greatest of of degrees. Also to say, death is not how it's going to be. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to die. Why? So that life can reign. He weeps. Over death, but there's more. I'm the resurrection of life who cries victory over death. It's interesting, it's a couple of different words on crying. He cries, he weeps, but he also cries out. He gets to the tomb and he cries out with a loud voice for Lazarus to come out. Now, there's a couple of things here I think it's so cool. Commentators will often say that if he didn't specify Lazarus by name, everybody, everybody might have come out. Lazarus, you specifically come out he cries out with a loud voice and that loud voice in the greek it's kind of like a it's like an animal grunting it's it's a victory chant for those of you sinners saved by god's grace and call yourself gator fans this is a gator chomp. this is a gator chomp. this is what he's doing for those of you who stuck with those seminoles although they forgot how to play uh, this is a this is a seminal chop For those of you who've jumped on the bandwagon and say Roll Tide, this is Roll Tide. This is War Eagle. Whatever your chant might be, this is a chant of victory. UCF, what's the the UCF? There you go, right there. Knights, charge on. Man, that's our hometown. I should have known that one. Jesus' resurrection cries out victory over death. Don't forget, he's crying out victory. It's beautiful. Jesus is going to go toe-to-toe with death. Jesus is going to experience it himself. He's going to taste it. He's going to taste defeat, and the ultimate defeat on the cross. There's no bigger defeat than this, right? Everything's black. The earth has gotten dark. The Father has turned from him because he's become our sin. Here he is, stripped of anything he's ever owned. Here he is, hanging naked, publicly crucified for our sins. And he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So why? So that he could cry out the ultimate victory over death. that death would be defeated. The resurrection is the proclamation of victory over death. Sin, yahoo, it's power and penalty, done with. The debt fully paid. And now through the resurrection, life reigns. Jesus not only weeps over death because it's not the way it should be and it communicates how much he cares, he also cries out a victory over it. Because through his life, death, and resurrection, death has lost its sting. It still has some hurt, but death has been defeated. Life reigns. And now we see, thirdly, I am the resurrection life who commands us to be freed from death. How does this little section end? Untie this Lazarus guy. Unbind him and let him go. And here's here's what we got to lean into with this. Jesus commands that everything that binds us from freedom, everything that holds us to death, everything that keeps us from living, he says, take it off. Be unshackled. He came to give us life and life abundantly. It doesn't mean that we're going to materially just get all the things we want. But to have life that reigns in us, the life of Christ, to be forgiven, to be loved, to be known, to be free, to have a future, secure in Christ Jesus. Anything that's shackling you, anything that's an idol in your life, anything that's tripping you up and holding you back, he says, I want that unbound, I want that taken off. I want my people to be free. Think of the story of Luke 15 and the return of the younger son in the prodigal God story, the prodigal son story. Um, we're studying that in our KC groups. And what does the father do to a son who's rebellious, who comes back and wants to ask for forgiveness? The, son, the father runs to him. And even before the, the son can get out his, his apology and his repentance, the, the father is like, Man, you are my son. And the son wants to say, Dad, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Man, I'm, I'm such a mess. I've been with the wrong women. I've spent everything you've given me. I'm, I'm broken. I, I'm not worthy. And the father says, you kidding me? You're my boy. Get the best robe. Get the best robe and put it on him. Go get the ring. So everybody knows this is my son. This is what is not only done in that parable. This is what God has done for us. Unbind him of death. Unbind them of sin. All that shackles them and robe them in Christ's righteousness. Bring the best robe. Let them have life and life abundantly. Make sure that they are known as mine. Put on that ring. He wore the crown. We wear the ring. What incredible blessing is ours. All that holds us back, he says, take off. And may we be found in Christ Jesus. God is passionate about having his children dressed in dignity. The amazing beauty of the gospel, it's not enough that God took away our sins with Jesus' blood. He also has to robe us in the beauty of Christ's righteousness. It's not enough that we're just cleansed. We're made beautiful. And so he sees us and he loves us. We now are the aroma of life for the world to see and to smell Jesus. Mary did believe. Many did believe. Mary and many others did believe because of Lazarus. But some didn't. But Lazarus was like living proof of Jesus' power over death in the grave. Do you know that you and I are living proof of Jesus' power over death in the grave? Do you believe this? The last thing, do you believe this? This is the key question. the, the The emphasis of this entire narrative is do you believe this? this event and the event of Jesus' resurrection will change everything in the world as it changed everything in your world i think the only way you'll believe this as we wrap this up is seeing yourself rightly so let's just spend a minute here this is a cool story is it not but do you see yourself in the story is this just a story you read it's out there or is this a story that's in here well let's make it more personal If you see yourself rightly in the story, guess who you are? Lazarus. What do you mean? Scripture says that we're dead in our sins, our trespasses and sins. That we are dead. We are without hope, except in the resurrected grace and power and love of the gospel. We are like Lazarus. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're like Lazarus. We've been called out of death, the death of our sins and misery, into his life. We are like Lazarus. We've been unbound by death, and we've been set free. Do you see yourself rightly? Seeing Jesus rightly, that Jesus personally is the resurrection. Jesus is is the one. He's the fulcrum. He's that turning point. And we are resurrected with Christ Jesus. Now, listen listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, 4 and 5. Listen to how personal this is. This isn't just a historic event. This is a personal reality. We, Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. That we by God's grace, have been resurrected with him. And the personal reality that Jesus is the resurrection. But Jesus also is personally his life. John will say it this way in his epistle, 1 John 5, 11, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son which means by God's grace through faith, a relationship with him, whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son does not have life. Do you have the son? You don't get them just because you're born with the birthright of it. You don't get them just because you do something religious like join a church, although it's good, or even be baptized, although that's obedient. You get them by God's grace by believing that he is personally your Lord and Savior. You know, when I I got ready to preach this and study this, there's there's one thing I got to press upon you that was pressed upon me, that death always precedes life. Okay? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I am the life and the resurrection. And ever since the fall of man, if you really want to live, watch this, you have to die first. Jesus himself will say in Matthew 16, after Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, goes, Hey, anybody wants to be my disciple? Anybody wants to be my follower? Here's what you gotta do. You gotta deny yourself. You've got to have death first, then come and follow me. The only way you're gonna live is to lay your life down. And you can't find life. Lose your life. And as you lose your life, find your life in me. Death precedes life. Jesus is not just an add-on to your life. Jesus didn't come so that you could just find a little room for him to squeeze him in. If you want Jesus, there's death that's required. It's death to you and, and your way of living and you're trying to make your own way home and your own savior. It's death of realizing that we're sinners that need to repent and believe in what God has done for us. It's death. We lay our life down to find our life in Christ. And here's the amazing, beautiful reality. We find our life. We find ourselves. We lose ourselves in the gospel to find ourselves in Christ, to find life and life abundantly. Those of you in struggling marriages, you want to have more to your marriage? Let me tell you what you need to do. Die to yourself and live to your spouse. Those of you who, who want more of this life, die to your selfish ambition and live for another. And ultimately, you want to find true life, die to yourself and live to your God. That's where you'll find life. If you believe this, life unbound and free for the world to see in Jesus.